0: Please open your Bibles for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading from Acts eleven nineteen 19 through 30. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church to Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with, their devoted, with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I actually need the Bible you take your mic <laughs> thank you we are in uh, as my wife shared acts eleven verses nineteen through thirty that is where we will we will be today uh, we are going through the book of Acts we are looking at uh, the Holy Spirit the work of the Holy Spirit talking about what does it mean to be spirit filled and I'd like to open this, this message today by asking all of us a question. What should the church be? What should Jesus' church be? Often, myself included, I think we like to separate the church, or a church, or our church, from Jesus. Sometimes we may even say, well, I, you know, I worship Jesus, I don't have to go to a church. Or we might even say, I call myself a follower of Christ, not necessarily a Christian. But in the Bible, you cannot separate the church from Jesus. Uh, It is, as I'm going to say again, uh, Jesus' masterpiece. The church is to be Jesus' masterpiece. Uh, If you look at John 17, which I'm not going to read, but the whole chapter is Jesus praying for his church, Not just then in the upper room, but throughout all of history. Praying for us right then and there. This church, every church. When you look at the church, when we see a church, we should see Jesus. Uh, There's there's nowhere, I believe, Jesus right now, his body up in heaven. uh, He never says, oh, I need to check on this church or I needed to check on the church. He he is constantly, he is constantly with his church. It's called the body of Christ. It is his masterpiece. Now, the reality though is there are a lot of things in Jesus church throughout history and in the present uh, that are bad. I mean broken people fill up Jesus' church and broken people often do broken acts. And so, often we see a church or the church and we're like, man, I just don't want to be uh, any part of that. I would rather just follow Jesus on my own. And if I can use a a, a painting as an illustration, and I'm no painter, my, one of my grandmothers was, but I'm fascinated by art, works of art. Often a ma- there's a masterpiece that is painted, but then throughout years, and even centuries, other painters of lesser talent uh, paint over that masterpiece. And there are other works on top of it that are just not, frankly, as good. And so I think that is, uh, I think that's a fit metaphor for what we do as followers of Christ, as the body of Christ, to Jesus' masterpiece, the church. Uh, We have had broken men and women who are believers and who are gifted by God, but we paint over the original masterpiece So the outside world doesn't see the original beautiful masterpiece of the church. So then I would say, how do do we see it? Well, they are actually now uh, art restorers who take these masterpieces and try to take away the uh, the bad paintings to get it to its original uh, beautiful, pristine um, the way the first artist painted it. That is hard work. And so for us, if we are going to see what Jesus' church should be, what we're to be, it takes, it actually takes hard work. We have to look in God's Word and we have to be part of a church because there's great beauty in each and every church. This church, all churches, there's great beauty. And to be part of it, often we will see that beauty, sometimes we'll even see the bad too, but to look in God's Word and to be part of the church, I do believe you can come to see Jesus' masterpiece as the church. Do you know that 80% of all Americans believe, hey, I can be a Christian without being part of the church? Okay, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Nowhere does Jesus say that. So to find the masterpiece, the church that we should be, the church that Jesus wants, it takes work, it takes effort to look into God's Word and to be part of a body, uh, growing uh, that it's imperfect, that's always moving to say, this is how we should be from God's Word. So uh, today, we're looking in this passage at a church. It's really the first church outside the church in Jerusalem. And this is in Antioch, okay? And so to give you a little background, if you've been here over the last couple weeks, uh, Easter and the week since, uh, we've looked at three individual conversions. Ethiopian... Saul and Cornelius, three different people, African, uh, devout Jew, Saul, and Roman centurion. And now Acts shifts, and we begin looking at local churches in cities across the Mediterranean world. The first church was in Jerusalem. This is really, most scholars think, the second church that began, that started, and flourished. And this is, to give you some context, and I'm a context guy, so I like this stuff. This was in a very, very large city. Antioch was the third biggest city in the Roman world and the Mediterranean world, so it was like the Chicago of his day, you know, New York, L.A., Chicago. It was about 500,000 people, 10 or 15 times uh, bigger than Jerusalem. So really a much bigger city, uh, very, very dense. Uh, It was believed that in Antioch you had about 200 people living per acre, so to uh, set that up for you, kind of some context, that would be like you're living on a very, very popular beach. Let's say you know, Redneck Riviera, watercolor. You're living there without the beach, okay? And so you're just there with a lot of these people. So it's very, very dense. It's very, very multi-ethnic. You had Jews, non-Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Greeks. Uh, it is in present-day Syria, So you had a lot of people from the east, Chinese, Indians, Africans, all there in this melting pot of a city, very urban, very dense, a lot of social problems, a lot of crime, a lot of ethnic fighting, a lot of racial fighting in Antioch. And what is fascinating in this city and in every city, as the church began to grow, as the spirit began to move, the church and Christians flourish more In these bigger cities where there were a lot of problems, a lot of different people, a lot of crime, a lot of people together, the church, we see here first in Antioch and we'll go on in other cities, it flourished. It grew at a rapid rate. And so I believe here, as we look at this church in Antioch, it shows us, and what I hope that you will see today, are several traits, aspects of the church that we need, of the church, Frankie. that we should be, of the church every church should be, of Jesus' church, of his masterpiece. So what I want to do is I want to show you several of these traits that we see in the church in Antioch. I want us to hopefully see how we can apply them to our life, whether you're a member or visitor or you call yourself a Christian but not settled in a church yet. And I want to tell you how, how we can apply them. So first, the traits and to get started, really verse 19 through, through 21, it says that several of these leaders went out and preached to Jews. But then it says some of them began speaking to Greeks, also proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, I don't want you to miss that. So one trait the first trait is there is this combination of personal evangelism and outreach and god's hand or god's sovereignty or god's work and i think as christians we we separate the two often often we'll say well look god's got to be at work and god does the work and god brings people to him yes that's true But the trap is to say, well, I'll let God do that, and I'm not going to say or act or speak or witness or, to use a churchy word, evangelize at all, because I'll just let God do it. Or we lean the other way, and we're like, man, we're all for Jesus. We're fired up for Jesus. We will speak, talk, preach, proclaim, uh, witness to our neighbors, everybody. We say, whether it turns them off or not, we're going out for Jesus, and we don't pray, and we don't believe that, hey, God is the one who does the work. So it is both here. And you're like, well, where does it say that? Well, it says they began proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. And they were proclaiming it to different people. To what we've called here in our, our visions, our values, others. John 10, 16, to love the other person. They got to Antioch and they were very different people. And yet they spoke, they witnessed, and God's hand was on them. It was this combination of God's work and people talking, and inviting, and sharing. I'll give you a story about this. I was talking to a member Thursday, member of this church, and great guy, love him like I love y'all, but he was, he's gone through tremendous loss in his life, and he had the opportunity, he was out in the community, uh, he bumped into a lady, uh, a lady he knew, but not well, and he just said, you know, I felt God open a door and just started talking to her about my life and my loss, and then come to find out she had gone through significant loss. And um, he ended up in inviting her to church. don't know if she's here today. The, the member is not. But he saw an opportunity, felt like the Lord's hand was with him, and he spoke. He shared. He witnessed. He invited. And I'm not saying this as a, uh, don't hear me wrong, and say, hey, you need to go out and invite everyone to church I am saying you need to be open to the Lord's hand. As we say, no accidents in Christianity, to whom we meet, to where we go, to what we're doing. And there are many ways to minister. Uh, yes, coming to church is one, but I've got, uh, I've had another lady who's not a member of this church who really their family kind of, I mean, they're more or less like a CME, Christmas, Mother's Day, Easter. And they, they really don't have much of a connection, but she is so concerned about her husband, and and I see her at events and stuff, and I was like, man, I wish you you or, she says this, another man from your church would reach out to my husband, I was like, man, we got this great men's group Tuesday morning, and I even told her, I was like, look, I I probably don't need to say anything to him, because, you know, he's like, well, you're a pastor, that's what you're supposed to do, and you're trying to get me to come to church, but I have told some men in that men's group, hey, this is a guy, he doesn't really have much of a connection, he needs a community. God opens these doors. God's hand, if you're a believer, God's hand is with you. Be open to where he's leading you. And don't be afraid to speak or share. Really just to love. People need love and, secondly, encouragement. And that brings up my next trait here. In the church we need, the church we should be, is there are encouragers. And I want to ask you, are we encouragers? Are you an encourager? Are you an encourager to people here? I said this a couple weeks ago in a message. You could really break down every conversation you have had or ever have into is it encouraging or is it not encouraging? Are you an encourager? Because we see here there is this man, Barnabas, and he is called the encourager, and he is always encouraging people. So verse 22, news about this growth in the church, this different growth of different people, Spread and they sent, and this is the church in Jerusalem, sent a man, Barnabas, to go there. He goes to Antioch. He, and, and to give you again some context, there was a church in Jerusalem and it was a lot of the same people, same types of people, like raised in religion, Judaism. They came to Christ. And as we saw last week, or the last couple of weeks with the Ethiopian, with Cornelius, there were different people. Uh, with no religious background that were coming to Christ. The church was becoming more and more diverse. And so Barnabas is like, man, what's going on? I mean, you've got probably uh, Greeks, possibly Chinese, possibly Indians, other different people that are forming this church. i got to go see. So Barnabas went. And you know what? He, I love this because he didn't go down there. It's like, well, you got to do this and this. And, well, you, you don't know the Old Testament. He just encouraged them. I say that for myself, for all of us. Are we encouragers? Are you in, if you're a student at school, are you encouraging at school? Are you encouraging on the sports field? Are you encouraging at work? Every conversation could be broken down. Is it encouraging or not? You can have hard conversations and be encouraging. And here Barnabas comes and it says, He encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord, verse 23, with devoted hearts. For he was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit. They're Spirit-filled. I've said over and over again, if you read through Acts, underline where it says full of the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. And then look at this, verse 25. It says, Then he, Barnabas, went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. I want to stop there. And I want you to miss this. So Barnabas is sent. He goes to Antioch. He sees this new new tribe, this new group, this new church filled with the Spirit. God's doing a work. He could have said, all right, man, I got my gig. Because, I mean, like, he could have said, like, church in Jerusalem, I mean, they got Peter and the early disciples, and I'm a Christian, and uh, I want my own thing. I want to lead my own place or church or group of people. He could have... He could have said, as a leader, man, this is mine. I'm hoarding. Instead, look at what Barnabas did. Think about what he did. He's like, I, I know somebody better. I know somebody better that I need to go get and bring him here so that he can help. So he goes back and he gets Saul. He's like, Saul, man, you got to come here. Look, and it says, God was working through Barnabas. It says large numbers of people were added to the Lord through his encouragement. He could have rested on that. He could have have said, man, I want to use this as my my perch, my launching pad, as Saul did before he became Paul and went out. And a lot of the book of Acts, as we're going to see, is now written about Saul who became Paul, not Barnabas. I I don't want you to miss the the lack of ego here, uh, the lack of pride here, uh, the lack of... A need for position or title or perch. He's like, I know somebody better. I'm gonna bring him and help this new community. Is that our spirit? That's convicted. Is it is it my spirit? Is it is it your spirit as individuals? We talk about raising leaders, we talk about raising unlikely leaders and living that that's that's what we see here with Barnabas. He's like, I'm going to go get somebody, and I think he can do a better job than me. I think he could take this church in Antioch to the next season of flourishing and growth. And he's stepping out of the way. Huge lesson for us there. So this encouragement, and with encouragement there is humility. And I just believe Barnabas had such a a peace and a solid foundation of the Lord. He's like, man, I'm I'm a team player. It's it's not about me. It's for the Lord. Glory to him. And uh, I want to connect and collaborate and... I think Saul is better. Awesome. And then another trait, and this is very important. It says, again, verse 25 for a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. So it gets Saul, and then Barnabas and Saul spend a year just teaching. I don't want you to miss this, okay? God's at work. The church is growing. All these new people, they can say, man, let's, let's keep on. Let's, you know, if it's 500,000, let, let's keep going and growing. Let's get six digits, 100,000, go out. No, they said it is so important to teach these people, these new Christians, and probably some old Christians too, we need to teach them right belief. Right, to use the word, doctrine. So the third trait is that teaching is so important in the life of a church. Not just good teaching, right teaching, right belief. That's actually what the word doctrine means. Uh, You know, I have, uh, and some of you have been with us since the beginning of Bellwether. I've changed a lot, changed quite a bit. Uh, uh, I was joking, or or one of the original members kind of joked with me. Um, They were reading a book. Yeah, about another pastor, and the pastor wrote, you know, I feel like I've been four different pastors at this church, and this member said, yeah, it sounds like you, and I was like, it is true. You've had, you all have had kind of like four different pastors here, uh, and that's, uh, you know, look, that's God's word. That's part of his sovereignty, uh, grow in me, but where I am right now is God has grown in me, this, this importance of right teaching, right belief uh, for you, uh, for others, and you're like, well, is there any wrong belief? Yes. Is there, like, wrong teaching in churches? Yes. There is. Verse up on screen, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. This is Paul. So after all this happened and Saul became Paul and became the, really the, the greatest church planner evangelist ever in church history, he wrote to Timothy. And this was in the reading if you're, doing, if you're following our, our Bible plan, the Bible reading for this week, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. He says to Timothy, who's a preacher at the church in Ephesus, he says, preach the word. Be ready, in season, out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. See that word, encourage? For the time will come... See if this sounds familiar. It does to me. For the time will come, not necessarily about folks here, but the culture, when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. So, for Barnabas, for Saul, for us as elders, here, the five elders, and I'm one of them, there's this importance on protecting the pulpit. As in, like, we want right teaching, right doctrine uh, taught here. And I would say this to you to encourage you, like, how, well, how do I, how do I get uh, right teaching uh, if I'm coming here, if I'm a member, if I'm visiting. Well, I mean, I do hope you come to church. I mean, rain or shine, as, as often as you can. I mean, I do hope that. Uh, we, we take it very seriously to give you, I say we as the elders, right teaching. I'd love for you to be part of a smaller group. Uh, that's, uh, they're led by, by several of the elders and others. To really saturate yourself in God's Word and think about it and process it, because it does take time. And there are uh, things that are hard for us to hear and read and, and know, but uh, it is truth. It is it is doctrine. So, third trait is that there there is right teaching. And then it says they were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, as I was studying this passage this week, I've always just again read through that. Okay, that's where they were first called Christians. Great. Well, there's a reason behind it, and there's always a reason behind everything, which I love it. Scripture you can you could mine it forever. Again, Antioch so uh, distinct, different, diverse, there were, they believe, 18 different ethnic groups, ethnic racial groups, because in the city of Antioch, there were 18 different sections. Like if you go to, well, even a bigger city than Jackson, but you know, you got Chinatown and, you know, the Italian part. and So in Antioch, there were 18 uh, different of these ethnic enclaves where the groups would live. And there was continual fighting, uh, ethnic war. Like you'd get, I read something like, there would be an argument in the market and then just like war would erupt and people would die and there'd be killing and conflict. I mean like bad stuff. It was just a a cauldron of fighting. They even, they built a wall around the city of Antioch and then the fighting had had gotten so fierce that they, throughout the the years they built walls in between uh, these uh, ethnic areas. So, The Romans would be separated from the Chinese and the Indians would be separated from the Africans because the possibility of conflict was so ripe. Now, going back to why they called them Christians, because the people of Antioch, they began to see Jews, Gentiles, Africans, Chinese, Greeks, Romans getting along, caring for one another, loving one another. And they said, we can't just call him a Jew or a Gentile or a Roman, or an African, or Ethiopian, or we got to come up with a new name for this. We've never seen anything like it. They call them Christians. So, trait of the church we need is that it is diverse. And it's diverse, different people, a lot of different others getting along, coming together, loving one another, teaching one another, nurturing one another, feeding one another sharing life with one another. I was blessed. Uh, real quick, you know, last night I was down at uh, Martin's. Anybody like to go to Martin's? Anybody like to go to Martin's? Anybody? Come on. Mar- Everybody, some, some folks, just even if you don't. I got a Bellwether member that owns Martin's. And he texted me and he's like, man, I got a crawfish bowl. And I was like, man, I support the brother, so go down there. and Didn't need much crawfish. But uh I had a good catfish po' boy and hung out for hour or two, and, and visit with a lot of folks, and uh, yeah, the majority of folks, the majority, same race, same city, but a lot of diversity there, if you've been to Martins, okay? A lot of diversity there, and there were a lot of opportunities to share, and you know, my brother here, who, uh, and he didn't know I was saying this, but I felt led this morning, my brother here was like, he kept introducing me as his pastor, and then, you know, I kept the like, same thing, you know, I always get an apology right off the bat, you know, he's my pastor, like, oh, I'm sorry, man, forgive me, <laughs> and uh, it's like, no, man, it's it's, uh, it's okay? One, you know, one lady, you know, just like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, you know, it's just fine, it's good. As I have my beer, anyway. So, you know, I do, and it's good. But that's not just that. I mean, there's this, you know, we have to battle against the perception of the outside world that we're like, you know, too Christian or too holy roller, and not that, not to be just so uh, intentional about that, but sometimes to go out and yes, to be part in restaurants and and bars and. Um, and be clear, drunkenness is a sin. So let me state that. Very much a sin. But to be out with these people and say, oh, there's something different about that guy. There's something different about that person that belongs to Bellwether Church. Um, I mean, I, I want people to say that about y'all, about, about us. And I always have the pastor, you know, right across the forehead. So it's a lot easier for y'all than me. But it's this diverse community. And we actually, you're like, well, Jackson, Mississippi, it's very diverse you know, with the counties running from Hines to Rankin to Madison, racial diversity, even, you know, span school, you've got all these kids from, uh, from different nationalities. Uh, you know, first language is, is not English over there. And what are we doing to just connect? And I'm not talking about connect to get them a church, just connect in relationship, to be Christians, as it was first stated and named of people. And then another trait... Uh, really, the last trait is this generosity and connection that we see because things were going great in Antioch. They could have said, Man, uh, we're, people are coming in, which means more money's coming in. Okay? And then there's this connection between the church in Jerusalem and Antioch, and they say, Hey, we have a need. And so Antioch is like, Man, there's a need. We need to help the need. Different church, like I said primarily Jewish background church and here, this really multi-ethnic. And they're like, there's a need, the famine. We need to be generous. So when everything's going good, they're like, let's give things away. Let's even give our our two, maybe arguably two primary leaders. Let's give Saul and Barnabas. Let's send them to take it. You know, they might not come back. You don't know. So they're sending leaders. They're sending money. They're so, so generous because they trust, I believe, in the hand of the Lord. And they trust, you know, he's going he's gonna to be at work here. So it's like, look, we can be generous. God's given us everything. We can, we can give. We can give money. We can give people to help brothers and sisters in need with this famine. Uh, that's one of the reasons in terms of connection. Uh, many of you all know, not all of you, but like to highlight, we're connected to this network called Acts 29. And it's a network that is global. Uh, and that is... It's not a denomination, it's only a network, but it, it exists to help churches with needs, with counsel, and with being part of a global network. Another example, I was blessed this week, uh, a brother who is a Presbyterian, okay? We're very close friends, and now he runs a, a group, well, he coaches a group of six church planners who are also Presbyterian throughout the Mid-South, so Arkansas. Mississippi, Louisiana. So he asked me, and I was honored and blessed to come over and talk to them uh, earlier this week. And it's very encouraging to me uh, hearing these stories from church planters. and And I really got convicted. Of this one guy, you know, we don't we don't financially support this network or anybody, but this one guy is planting in Lafayette, Louisiana, and he shared his story. It's an oil town. I have a great uncle that lived there, worked in the oil business. And I mean, if some of you know the oil market, it's just. And the guy's like, you know, we, we started and we had some good money and generosity. And he's like, now, man, it's just, it's no pun intended, like tanking. And he's like, I don't know how, I, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, and I thought as I was reading this passage, you know, it's uh, the blessing of connectivity as you know about needs. And I'm not saying we're going to help this brother, but even thinking about it and praying about it and sharing his story, in Lafayette, Louisiana, if I'm pronouncing it right. You know, his brother who's trying to plant a church, has a need, and uh You know, pray for him. Good dude, great dude. They're they're about 18 months into this church plant and struggling, struggling financially. So when you're connected, you know about these needs that you're willing to be generous to share. And so I mean the the church that we need is a combination of evangelism, trust in the Lord, encouragers, a diverse community, teaching, and just so so generous and being connected so you know about needs. Now, real quick. Applied it to your life. That's the church we need. But how, how, do you, how do you become like that? Because if you become like that, then th- this church becomes like that. The church we need. How do you do it? I'd say three things real quick. Three S's. Make it easy. First, sacrifice. Uh, are we, and me included, how much do we, do we sacrifice? You see, the story about the Christians in Antioch. This famine was really the first. All these famines broke out. And also, plagues broke out in Antioch. And the Christian church there, instead of just taking care of their own, they began to bring in both non-believers and others who were in need and care for the sick and dying, often to their own physical life. And I'm not saying uh, we do that or set up a a hospital here. I mean, it's an idea. But I am saying this sacrifice, so where do you get that sacrifice? The believers in Antioch, they, they, they knew, I believe, that, hey, Jesus Christ sacrificed everything for us on the cross. And because of his sacrifice, we have the reward of, as we sang about, his righteousness. And also because of the reward of eternal life. But it's not just that. Often we say, well, you know, I've got heaven. No, you have life in abundance now. So Christians should be, churches church that we need should be, so willing, so willing to sacrifice over and over again uh, for those in need. Not because it's like the right thing to do or culture says, hey, be sacrificial and you'll have a better life. No, because Jesus sacrificed everything, his very life on the cross. And so Chris would be like, I, I can sacrifice, sacrifice, Scattered is another word. Scattered is not, I would say, you know, in in terms of popularity, like scattered is not like a popular word. If he's like, well, they're a scattered person. It means like, man, they're they're all over the place. They're they're not really centered. They don't know what's going on. They're scattered. I'm going to say one way we can be the church is to be scattered. Well, Where does it say that? Look at Barnabas. Look at Barnabas. Barnabas was in Jerusalem. They sent him to Antioch. He went. He stayed in Antioch for a while. Raising leaders, raising unlikely leaders, cultivating leaders. And then he went again to Jerusalem. And as you'll see, if you go through Acts, he continued going with Paul. He was willing to be scattered. And so for for me, for you, are we willing to be scattered? Are we willing to go where God calls? Uh, There's a saying that if you live where you want to live, you'll never do anything great for God. You're like, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, Abraham... Going back, those of you who know the Old Testament. Abraham, God calls him, go to a land that you do not know. Abraham said, I'm going. Jesus Christ, his home in the heavens. sent or Jesus was scattered. His whole earthly life, he was scattered. All through the Bible, Moses, you know, all through the Bible, you see these scattered men and women that accomplish, in spirit-filled, great things for the Lord. So are we willing to be scattered, to go, to stay, to go, I hope we are. I hope you will be. And then the last to serve, and I want to highlight Barnabas one more time. Just I think it's, I just think his example is it convicted me. I hope it convicted you. He was just he he went to he he went to Antioch not to like claim his turf. He was like, oh man, I kind of see an opportunity. It's a good opportunity. New church, man, they're they're rocking. They need some leadership. He He went to serve. He's like, man, I'm here. I want to be team spirit. I want to help cultivate teams. I don't care who gets the glory. I only want God to get the glory. Just the spirit of service in Barnabas. Uh, how did he have that? Let's go back to Jesus. He came as one who would serve. He washed not just feet, but very dirty, stinky feet. He served all the way to the cross. So, like, when you think about the church we need and, like, okay, nice traits, but, like, applying it to you, if you're a member of this church or as a Christian... And you could use different words, but something came to me. It, being sacrificial, being willing to be scattered, serving. That's the church, uh, this city, this culture, this world needs to see over and over again because the world uh, on the other end is primarily, I mean, you know it. Uh, the world is selfish. The world, I mean, the Bible says, you know, the truth, the father is, is, is the devil. It's egotistical, this is supposed to be something different. As scripture said, our, our name is supposed to be Christian. And now, last thing, how, how that all happens. It's very simple. I'm just gonna ask you a question. Actually, two questions. They're really the same question. What is holding back, holding you back? What is holding you back from being the Christian that the world needs? What is holding you back? The same answer could go to the same question, to the different question. What is holding you back from completely with your life, completely relying on the cross and the blood of Christ? It's the same answer. So first, when you take a Christian church, what's holding you back from being the Christian you need for the church you need? I believe the same answer is what is holding you back from totally, completely relying, basing your life on Jesus Christ on the cross and the blood of Christ? What is holding you back? That is a question I want us all to think about as I offer an invitation. And this invitation is one where we will take communion together. We're going to do it in a different way uh, today. So get ready to take communion, okay? But listen to me. We're going to move this cross down here front and center, okay? This cross back there. Someone needs some help, okay? And it uh, hopefully won't fall. I don't think it will. It's standing on four things, okay? Don't worry. We're going to put an offering plate at the base of it, the base, the foot of the cross, At the foot of the cross, there's level playing ground. It's very level, regardless of where you're from, what you do, who you think you are. It's all equal. I'd like you, you should have a card either at your seat or facing your seat. I would love for you to really, if, I'm going to say this, if you want to take communion today, I would prefer you to do this. I'm not going to say don't, but I'd prefer you to take that card, think about it, pray about What is holding me back from totally relying on the cross and the blood of Christ for my life. Is it it status? Is it position? Is it being a pastor? Is it some mission idea that you have? Is it uh, a problem? Is it a hurt? Is it bitterness? Is it bitterness towards someone here? What is holding you back from basing, relying your entire life on the cross and the blood of Christ? And if you can't answer that, because honestly, that's what we're supposed to do in communion every week as we confess and take the Lord's Supper. I mean, if you just can or if you don't want to, then um, biblically it says, you know, then, then just you don't have to take communion. But Scripture says, get your heart right. So to get our hearts right, what is holding us back? And I'm not saying that's going to totally erase that thing or solve the problem. I am saying it is going to give you an opportunity to truly get deep in your heart and confess one or at least one thing that's like, Lord, this is holding me back. And I trust in your finished work on the cross, the blood of Christ that cleanses all. So I'm going to pray for us. It's going to be open communion, so no ushers. So whether two or 20 or whomever, come as you are. But there will be an offering plate at the foot of the cross, and we'll take communion. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for most of all, your cross, your blood, that started your church. And so I just pray we recognize that. And as we we move into, we grow into the church that the world needs, let us just point our our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our lives towards the cross and the finished work that you accomplished for uh, everyone in this building and, and everyone all over the world. May we know that. May we base our life. May we give our life. May we, may we say, Lord, this is, this is hold me back and I give it to you. And rest on your finished work on the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.